Good morning. My name is Harry Strauss. I'm part of the pastoral team here at Forest Grove. Primarily work with adults in the second half of life. Uh, trust that you are having a good summer. If you uh, are one that you've stayed in the uh, city through the summer months here, there are all kinds of festivals that you can obviously go to. It's my theory that we're so cooped up during the winter that when summer hits here, um, it is just loaded with festivals. So some of you may have gone to the Children's Festival in June. Others of you, perhaps the Fringe Festival at the end of the month, of the month of June. Some of you may have taken in the Taste Fest as well. Uh, when I looked through all the menu and uh, I circled the number of places where I wanted to eat or the pre- preferred places, they all ended up having ribs and uh, didn't eat at all of those places, but uh, had ribs when I went to the uh, Taste uh, Fest. Uh, there is a rib fest as well in the city of Saskatoon. I don't know if you're acquainted with that or aware of it. It's only second year, but it is at the uh, Diefenbaker Park, uh, put on by one of the Rotary Clubs here in the city. So we were there on Friday night, and I enjoyed a full rack of ribs. It was actually maybe more than I really needed to eat, and I don't really like to overeat, but uh, I left the place uh, fully satisfied. Uh, Fringe Fest is on now as well, and you can go to the Fringe Festival. I generally get there for two or three plays, and Judy and I took in on Friday night, no, Saturday night, uh, um, middle of everywhere. And uh, really worth watching. I would give it at least a four-star and a five-star rating, regardless of what the Star Phoenix might say. My um, guess is the Star Phoenix will give it at least four, four and a half, or maybe even five. Outstanding play that is uh, worth watching. And then uh, you could even go to the Fiddle Fest. Uh, Fiddle Fest is starting, I think, this week. Or I, I um, have had occasion to go there at least once in the past, and uh, it was a neat place to be. So there are all kinds of places that you can be. And you know, we could say that Sunday is a Sunday fest as well. Every Sunday is the people of God gathered together. It is a festival. And even that last song really sort of captured the spirit of that happy day. As we gather together and we worship and we celebrate the resurrection, this is a festival. The people of God coming together and the implications of the cross and the huge benefits of relationship with Christ. Freedom from sin, declared righteous in the eyes of God, Romans, the message of Romans, and not only that, but also the promise of eternal life. Wow, can you put a value on that? I can't put a value on that, it's priceless. And uh, there's cause to celebrate. And when we gather together on Sundays, to really see it as a fest, a worship fest, a Christian fest, a Sunday fest, as we gather together as the people of God. Well, last November, Judy, my wife, and I, we took in a conference in Dallas on ministry related to the second half of life. And in that setting, we heard this uh, true story. The story is of an elderly couple visiting their adult children, doing so in a U.S. city totally new to them. Their kids had just moved to this city. So for the day, the parents, while their children went to work, they decided to visit the city, doing so by bus. At the end of the day, they ended up hopelessly lost and didn't know how to get back to their children's home. 
And so you know what their idea was? They stepped into a Domino's pizza, ordering a large pizza for delivery to their children's address, requesting that they could ride along. And it worked. It worked. The Domino's pizza guys or gals said, yes, we're into it. So it was a fairly wise idea. And the question of the sermon really is not my question. It's the question right of the text. Who is wise and understanding among you? James 3.13. I'm pretty sure that James didn't have innovative ways of finding one's way back home on his mind. But still, who is wise and understanding among you? And the question is really there for all of us. And we personalize it. We can flip it around and we could say, dare we say, am I a wise and understanding person? And that's really the heart of where James is going with this text as he begins to, as he shares it with us and as we begin to look at this text together as a group of people. So what's the big deal about wisdom? Why is it that Solomon, given the opportunity to ask anything that he would want, 1 Kings chapter 3, God appears to him by way of a dream at night and gives him to ask whatever he wants. And what does he ask for? He asks for wisdom. Not all that dissimilar from James chapter 1 verse 5, this book that we're looking at, right at the very front, parked at the very beginning, which might suggest the thrust of the whole book of James is to live a life of wisdom. So what's the big deal about wisdom? Well, just so you know, the other option isn't all that attractive. Think about it. You want to be dumb? Want to be classified as among the fools? Among those who are foolish in terms of how one lives his or her life? There's a big deal here. Big deal about this thing about wisdom in Scripture. So back to the initial question, who is wise and understanding among you? Could include talking about the church. Could include talking about the community of Saskatoon. Could include the whole nation of Canada, who is wise and understanding among the leaders of Canada. And also could include internationally, who are the wise leaders, political leaders across the world. Equally, leaders, though they many are very wise, there could be leaders who are, we would deem, foolish in how they approach their political decision-making. So let's look at this. And I think you're in for, we're in for a surprise in terms of how James lays this out in this text. In James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18 is our text. And let's look for the, for the answers that he brings to the table in terms of the question that he poses. So who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Again, I, I, I think it's kind of a surprise how he responds. I think generally when we think about someone that is really wise and someone who displays a lot of wisdom, we think maybe of the sage who posed with some of the complex questions of life and could be moral questions about life. 
was this wise response. And wisdom is certainly a part of that. Uh, certainly it's part of the equation as well. But that's not the response by James. The, the response by, by him, it starts off by let him not talk about it, but let that person show it by their good life, by deeds. So the response by James is, may I say it, not just simply practical, it is it is fiercely practical. And it's all really a very much akin to the book of Proverbs as well, which is to its core a fiercely practical book about the living out of one's life. So James starts this off, and it really carries the tone through these following verses, and even into chapter 4, which we will start to look at next week. Who is wise among you? He starts off with this fiercely practical note. It begins with a good life by deeds. But it's not just that. There is more that's attached to this as well. There is an attitudinal disposition that's connected with it called humility. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Wisdom and humility go together. They are really first cousins through Scripture here. Humility comes from wisdom, as indicated in the text, but equally wisdom comes from humility. Proverbs chapter 11, there's a line that says, but with humility, a spirit of humility, comes this capacity for wisdom. Humility is a big deal with God. It's a big issue with God. It's a big and important topic in terms of God, in relationship to us, wants to see a spirit of humility from us. The text for next week has the line that God opposes the proud, which is really comes through Scripture in so many different places. But he shows favor to the humble. And then it's followed with the invitation, humble yourselves before the Lord. And as we humble ourselves before the Lord, we capture this essence of wisdom that is reflected here in this very verse. Who is wise in understanding among you? He doesn't begin with the sage picture. He says, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Lifestyle is a big part of it. Now, James will go on to describe and unpack that even more, and we'll look at that in a moment here. But before he does that, he, he moves into the other side, and, and he gives us a snapshot of what, what wisdom is not. So in verse 14, he says, but if, but if you harbor envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. In other words, it's not wise for a person to be envious and selfish. And there are all kinds of reasons that we could pick up from Scripture on that, but Proverbs chapter 14 gives one line on this. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. You know, you listen to people who are advocates in the whole holistic medicine side of things, and they will say, they will suggest, they will teach, they will talk that inner peace is helpful to overall health. In contrast, envy in the absence of envy that comes with it will contribute to the rotting of one's bones, as suggested by Proverbs 14. And maybe not just a metaphorical type picture, 
But it's not good for us physically if we are consumed by a spirit of envy and selfish ambition. And so James puts this out right away as well. In contrast, this is what wisdom is not. A life characterized by an ongoing spirit of bitter envy and selfish ambition. That is not the wisdom of God, heavenly wisdom. But then he goes on to say that such wisdom, this earthly wisdom, does not come from heaven, but it is earthly, it is unspiritual, it is demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Is it hard to get a more damning assessment about a certain way of lifestyle than to use the language here, earthly, unspiritual, and demonic? You know, if James were here and speaking here and somehow you thought in terms of your life as being one characterized and consumed by envy and selfish ambition, he would say that is earthly. That is unspiritual. And then this word, can you believe it? This word, that is not only that, but it is also demonic. Kind of a hard-hitting assessment from him. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, or but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. It can be true of individuals. It can be true of groups. It can be true of churches. It can be true of denominations. It can be true of nations as well. I just finished reading about a month ago a book uh, by the title of The Source. It's a historical novel spanning the history of the land area we know today as Israel, Palestinian territories, from the age of prehistoric man through to modern-day Israel. It's a fascinating book. It includes a chapter on the Crusades led by the Europeans, the European believers in Christ, called the the faithful of St. Peter, the fidelis of St. Peter, who went on crusades to get rid of the unfaithful, the infidels, the Muslims, and some of the Jews who occupied the Holy Land. Part of the issue, part of the motivating drive, was they were envious of the Muslims, having control of the Holy Land and most specifically the city of Zion, Jerusalem. In an unsettling history uh, related to Christianity, uh, it is an unsettling chapter in the history of Christianity. And it was a wisdom that drove these people that was earthly, unspiritual, and I think we can say demonic to its core, driven by an envy, lacking any expression of good deeds, fraught with arrogance, totally deficient of any semblance of humility. It's interesting in Proverbs 16.25, you know, all this wisdom, I, I wonder, you know, one of the questions I might like to ask James in heaven was, in the Old Testament, was Proverbs your favorite book? Because really, James is a book about practical wisdom, and it really lines up with the book of Proverbs. But there's a line in Proverbs 16.25 that says, There is a way that seems right, but in the end it leads to death. And you can imagine all of these religious leaders in Europe for almost 200 years 
thinking it was really good to go to the Holy Land and kill all these infidels. And the more blood that flowed, the better it was, and the more godly and righteous it was. How more demonic can a certain thinking become? So James is saying, this is what is not. This is what wisdom is not. Then he shifts, and now we come to the last two verses, really, of our text here, and it'll be the focus for the balance of our time here. But the wisdom that comes from above, from heaven, is first of all, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So remember, the question is, who is wise and discerning among you? And the initial response by James was, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Then he said, this is what it's not. It is not envy and selfish ambition. But now James begins to expand on the answer of what wisdom is on the positive side. So we'll take a few moments just to look at each one of these words or phrases in verses 16 and 17, or 17 and 18. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, first of all, is pure. So a wise person is one that has got pure motives and pure thoughts, pure thinking about life and those around him. Now, isn't it interesting that the leading book on wisdom, Proverbs, devotes some of the early chapters almost exclusively to purity and more specifically to sexual purity? Isn't it interesting that Proverbs chapter 5, 6, and 7 all talk about sexual purity and more specifically avoiding adulterous relationships? In other words, keeping oneself pure. There are many different ways that we could look at this word pure and give it application, but this would be one of those in terms of sexual purity and really highlighted in the book of Proverbs. Adultery is not a wise thing to do. It is a dumb thing to do. It is a foolish thing to do. It is not wise for a wife. In the context, we're talking marriage here. It is not wise for a wife to leave the arms of her husband for another man. It is not wise for a husband to leave the arms of his wife for another person. It is just not wise. Rather, in the context of marriage, may each spouse be captivated by the other. And may there be a tremendous love, grounded by this this sense of purity in that relationship, husband-wife, wife-to-husband. You know, the one of the ways in which that, that, that is realized, Proverbs speaks about this too, Proverbs 5.19, talking about the husband in relationship with his wife says, may you be captivated by her love. That's the 1984 translation of the NIV. Now I'm working with the 2011, and I read this about a month ago, and I thought, what? This language has changed in 2011. It says, may you be intoxicated by her love. Uh, May she be so important to you and so central in your world that you are intoxicated and even satisfied totally and completely by the wife of your youth. Purity comes in part, at least the sexual purity, by being captivated by one's spouse. 
wisdom begins. This list here in these couple of verses here begins with this idea of being pure. Pure as individuals. It goes on to say, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then it is peace-loving. And then the final verse, as we can jump ahead to verse 18 there, which I have on the screen, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Peace-loving. But it's more than just peace-loving, right? We can sit in a coffee shop drinking our specialty coffees and be sort of all get nice warm feelings about the whole thing about peace and have this sense of peace-loving in the world. James can't stay just on the language of love uh, because in the next verse, he shifts the language to peacemakers. And so again, this fiercely practical side of James comes out and he jumps into this and he talks about this. Those who are peace-loving become peacemakers. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So somehow this loving of peace shifts into action where it's lived out in life in some way where they become peacemakers, initiating with expressions of peace. And there's a harvest of righteousness. Again, Proverbs 12 says those who promote peace have joy. That is part of the harvest. It's not only a harvest of righteousness, but those who are advocates of peace, are. there's a joy that comes to life. And it's, again, part of what it means to live a wise life. Who is wise among us? Peacemakers. What are, who are the peacemakers? Well, it could be a, a married couple in our setting who are in marital conflict, who choose to reconcile and make peace and come back together. It could be a child, seven, eight years of age, where you've had conflict with your brother or sister this past week and you take initiatives to make amends with your little brother or sister uh, with them. So it's pure. It's peacemaking. It's considerate. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, and then considerate. Would suggest that there's a lot of wisdom to be fleshed out in life. It's just in the nitty-gritty stuff of life. The small stuff of life, not the big stuff, the sage who's got this huge response and well-thought-out response to a, a dilemma, a, a question with, a, with this uh, challenging. But the nitty-gritty stuff of life is where wisdom is lived out and fleshed out, where we are considerate. And there are courtesies that express to one another. So why is it that when you see a couple walking down the street, the husband is usually on the outside and the wife is on the inside? Why is that? My mother taught me that one. And so there's a certain consideration that comes with that and a certain gentleman type of expression as a couple walk down the street. Why is it that when we're in a grocery store and we have to pass in front of someone who's looking at a product on the shelves, we we say, excuse me, please. Now, that's not a question. We're not waiting for an answer back. But we do say, excuse me, please, and there's a certain consideration and a courtesy that is expressed with that. Why is it that when we phone someone, we might say, uh, do you have a few minutes to talk? We say that because who knows where our phone call is. We phone someone what they are doing. And they may not be in any position to take the phone call. And so there's a certain courtesy and consideration. And and it's part of what it means to be living wisely. 
as reflected in James. So it's considered, it's pure, peace-loving, peacemaking, it's considerate. It is also submissive here. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive. Maybe it's a surprise to see submissiveness as well on the list here. But um, if we consider Proverbs 15.1, go to that for a text for a moment here, but a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. What kind of spirit is required to respond with a gentle answer when we are the recipient of someone else's wrath? Well, it's not a fighting one. <laughs> no. no, if someone responds to us with wrath, we, we want to get in there and sort of respond with that spirit. And, and the writer of Proverbs says, no, no, it's a, it's a gentle answer. Turns away wrath. Even though someone's taken a run at you, it's time to respond with gentleness and hopefully turning away the spirit of wrath that is uh, there. That trait of gentleness, uh, there's a whole family of traits there. The spirit of gentleness, the spirit of patience, the spirit of self-control, and I would put submissiveness in on that list as well. They are all interconnected. And to find the capacity to live as one marked by those traits speaks of finding wisdom in one's life. And submissiveness is a part of that. And so the capacity that we find and to, to submit in appropriate ways to other people is a part of what it means to be wise as well. The text goes on to talk about full of mercy and good fruit as a part of the list as well. Uh, on this one, you know, it's interesting how you sometimes hear quotes and quotes. Some just stay with you for the rest of your life. And there is so much wisdom in some of those quotes. One of my favorite ones, I can't remember if I've got it on the screen here or not, but uh, Dr. Dilday used to be one of the presidents at Fuller Theological, not uh, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. He said, we are not, and I've shared this from this pulpit before, but he said that we are not here to see through people, but we are here to see people through. And what he's talking about, that mercy is really at the root of that quote. Uh, mercy is, is there where we see people through. Judgment may be there when we are wanting to see through people and we make judgments about them. And James, this is a big deal for James, this whole thing about being merciful and kind and impartial. We'll pick up on the impartial piece right away here as well. But earlier in James chapter 2, he has that line that says, Mercy triumphs over judgment. When we look at people with the spirit of, we want to see through people, uh, that may carry with it a certain element of judgment. But when we are here to see people through, that may carry with it a greater emphasis on the, on the, on the mercy side. As we have found mercy at the hands of God, so we want to extend the spirit of mercy to others. And that mercy becomes part of the good fruit from our lives. It becomes part of the wisdom that is lived out, that is fleshed out. We become good fruit. We're not rotten fruit. We're good fruit. 
So it's, you know, those of you who shop for groceries, um, even at a grocery store maybe, and you pick up a carton of strawberries and you're about to put it in your cart and suddenly you notice the stuff is moldy. You put it back right away. It's no good. It's rotten fruit. We want to be good fruit. Good fruit is the language that is used here. And a life of wisdom will be, again, marked by that spirit of mercy. And then the last one on this list is uh, impartial and sincere. The wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And again, this is one of those big topic in the topics in the book of James. Uh, James chapter 2. James is the one who writes this example, sort of this case study. He says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. And so then he gives a little case study. He says, Suppose a man comes into your setting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and at the same time, a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. And James then says, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes, and you say, here, here is a good seat for you. Would you be seated here? But you say to the poor man, Go stand over there. Or go sit by the floor, on the floor by my feet. Then he says, Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And the evil thoughts there, of course, is, well, there may be financial benefit for me with a man with a gold ring. And I've discriminated. And the wisdom of the book of James is not to discriminate in that way, not to show favoritism, but that there would be this spirit of treating everyone equally. So the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. It's really an expansion of the verse that we saw initially. In other words, living a good life with good deeds done in the spirit of humility. And the value of living that life of wisdom? Well, you know, Proverbs is actually a book that has a number of blessed statements. I think there's actually more Beatitudes in the book of Proverbs than there are in Matthew chapter 5. When we talk about the Beatitudes, we think generally of Matthew chapter 5. But in Proverbs, I think there's about a dozen Beatitude-type statements. Here's one from Proverbs chapter 3. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. Well... Gold hasn't done as well in the last year or two, those of you who follow the financial things, but um, it really hasn't done that bad over the last decade. It uh, was about $400 10 years ago, and it's $1,400 today. So the illustration still stands. It's a pretty good investment over the last decade for those who put a lot of money into gold. But Scripture says here, wisdom is more valuable than silver and gold. 
is better than any return that one might get on gold. And so James is not, well, I guess he is, but in a sense this whole book is screaming out, get wisdom! And from James' perspective, it is a really practical type wisdom. And again, it begins right there, James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, and James is thinking about all through the book, really, is this is how wisdom looks like as it's fleshed out in this book. We ask for it. We walk with the wise. Proverbs has a line in 13, walk with the wise and become wise. Walk with those who are fools and they may begin to influence you. Walk with those who are wise and they will probably begin to influence you. It in- so it includes asking for it, walking with the wise. It includes walking by the Spirit of God. And scripture in Galatians talks, walk by the Spirit of God and you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh, but there will be a godliness and holiness exemplified by a person's life. And certainly as well, and this would be a whole sermon on itself, but the whole matter of looking to Jesus Christ and abiding in Christ. And again, I'm thinking about John 15, 5. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him. He bears, she, he and she, they bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And as we look to Jesus Christ as our, as our wisdom, we begin to be influenced, ongoing by Jesus Christ in a certain way of living. His righteousness that we have as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ begins to be fleshed out in a righteous living and a godly living and a good living, full of good deeds and good life because of the following with the Lord Jesus Christ. Worship team, if you would come up now, we are going to be doing this song, You Are My Vision. And again, this really could be a sermon all to itself, but the wisdom that is there as we look to Jesus Christ, he is our vision. And before we do that song, going back to the question of uh, who is wise and discerning among you, well, it could be everyone in this room. It could be every child in this room. It could be every teen in this room. It could be every adult in this room. But when we see the wisdom, that practical wisdom, this fiercely practical wisdom in the book of James, and the Spirit of Christ flows through us, we could say, I'm not perfect. And yes, I, I have messed up here and here and here. And, and, and that's how we also get wisdom. We may get wisdom by making some awful mistakes in life. And then finding, if required, forgiveness and repentance and confessing and restitution and then moving forward and, and moving forward with the wisdom that is there that I don't ever want to go there again in life. But the answer really is who is wise and discerning among us? All of us can be if we choose to live as reflected in the book of James.